Today's scripture today comes from John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become him. Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the word of God for the people of God. Um, this passage, it, it's, um, I'm going to walk you into what it, what it means, okay? This, this passage comes at the end of uh, the narrative in the um, gospel when Jesus gives the blind man his sight. Do, how many people know that story when Jesus gives the blind man his sight? Okay, cool. I didn't, so just one person. Let me see some hands so I just really know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. That's everyone. Everyone knows the story. Um, now, this comes at the end of it, and it's really interesting with this story. We, we like to read it just purely as history. This is exactly what happened, and this is what happened, okay? But there's a lot of irony in this particular story, and there's a lot of contrast going on here. And Jesus actually gives the reason um, for this story, and he says it in this verse here. Um, where is it? Um, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do, do see may become blind. Okay, so you're like, well, that's kind of weird. What's that about? Well, I'm going to go through the story right now, but here's what I want you to keep in mind. The blind person could not see. Jesus gave him his sight, not just to see, but to, he gave him true spiritual sight. So you have that character, and then you have the religious leaders, the, the, the Pharisees, okay, who could see. They had physical sight, okay, like Cooper was able to see, but through the story, they become spiritually blind, okay? And you see that flipping through the story here, okay? So the blind, here's the here's a, here's a, um, point again. The blind man couldn't see. Jesus gave him his sight so he could truly see. The Pharisees were able to see physically, but they were spiritually blind. Do you see the irony in the story? So when you um, teach that, or you express it to people, that's what's going on with the story. So let me, let's just walk you through it, okay? I'll walk you into this verse. Um, as Jesus and his disciples were walking on the Sabbath, they came, and Sabbath is Saturday, um, they came across a beggar who was born blind. He didn't go blind eventually, he was born blind. And after a short discussion regarding why this man was blind, I do not want to get into that right now, okay? Um, but after this discussion, Jesus healed the man of his blindness. So we're just getting into the basics of the story right here. And how did Jesus do this? Well, for one, before I read this next section, you have to know that he's Jesus. He can do these things. He does not need method or anything like that. He is God. But the scriptures say Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put the mud on the blind man's eyes, and then told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is exactly what the man did, and, and he received his sight. Now, if you're in a Bible study, someone's going to raise up. Did he have to do that? No, he did not have to do that, okay? But it did require this man's obedience. Go do this. He didn't ask why. He just went and did it, okay? So if you want to take anything from that, you can grab that out of it, 
All right? So this man now has his eyesight, doesn't he? Pretty cool, if you ask me. <laughs> that doesn't happen every single day. And because he has his eyesight, the story now moves on. It presses forward. And the text then tells us that this man who could not see went home. Not the end of the story. Now, if you're a neighbor, right, and someone came home that you knew was blind, and he, now he could see, you'd be a little suspicious, weren't you? You'd be like, wait a second, weren't you, aren't you the blind person, right? What do you, what's going on here? How can you now say, who are you really? You know I mean? You'd get into that, and then the other neighbors would kind of like get into that too, and you'd have all this, this excitement and confusion, right? And you would want answers about this blind man who can now see. So if you're living in the Jewish culture um, in that region during this time, and you were Jewish, okay, you would do what any good Jewish person would do, any Jewish community would do. Let's go to the Pharisees, right? Let's go to the religious leaders because this man has received his sight. We want some answers. Now the story moves on beyond that community and the Pharisees are now involved. Then the Pharisees, they get together and they question. They interrogate this man and, and they even involve his parents. Makes sense? His parents exist? Let's ask him, is this your son? Yes, it is. Okay, we got that out of the way. What's going on here? Trying to figure it out. Can you imagine being a part of this day, right? Now, furthermore, as the Pharisees are questioning this person, they cannot wrap their heads around someone who would dishonor the holy Sabbath by performing a sign. All right? So they're not caught up in the sign anymore. Let's not talk about the miracle. We can't figure that one out, okay? But let's find something wrong with this. This person did it on the Holy Sabbath. We don't care. It's a miracle. That's already blown our minds, okay? But he broke a law. He broke a law. So their thinking was this man can't be from God because God keeps the Sabbath. Therefore, this man gave this blind man sight is a sinner. Must be a sinner. He broke a law on God's Sabbath, right? Now, the problem with that is the moment you call this man a sinner, you have a whole bunch of other problems that seem to arise. You begin to have logical inconsistencies, okay? Their thinking just got them into a bigger mess because then they couldn't figure out how a sinner was able to heal a man from blindness, so you have this big mess. We cannot figure it out. So the next thing that they do makes completely sense because human nature kicks in um, after this long dispute and the Pharisees take this innocent man and they throw him out. <laughs> okay? Get out of my sight. Out of sight, out of mind. All right? So that's how they resolve the situation. They just said, we can't take this anymore. You ever notice whenever you get into a fight, you just want to get as far away from the fight as possible? If you're a normal human being, okay? Someone to just hang in there and have the last word. But the moment you can remove the other person, you put an end to the conversation. This conversation is ending. We are not talking about this anymore. We've all heard that, right? Right? Okay. Well, that's what's going on here. Just get out of here. We don't want to deal with this right now. So the story then moves back out into the streets. Jesus finds this man and reveals to him that he is the son of man. And then, okay, this blind man now sees not just the world around him, 
but the God who created the world around him standing right there in front of him. How's that for receiving sight? That is a pretty big day. Now, most of us um, here today will live our entire lives and then we will uh, move on and we will step into the presence of God and then our eyes will be opened and guess what? We will then see Jesus Christ in all his glory. What a beautiful sight to see, right? But this man spent his whole life blind, not being able to see the world, and then Jesus came and gave him his sight, and in that very day, guess what he got to see? The glory of God standing right in front of him. The first thing he saw, among the first things he got to see. What an awesome blessing that is indeed. And here's, here's the response that this person does. He says, I believe. I believe, and that is followed by worship. I don't know what his worship looked like, some sort of adoration toward Jesus the Christ. And that's the story right there. Now, one of the practices that some do with the scriptures is to put ourselves in place of the characters in the story. All right? So you insert yourself into the story to see where you fall into the story and to get a better understanding of it, okay? And with this um, particular situation, we have several characters that we can do that with, can't we? We have the disciples who are certainly there, so Jesus' students. Um, we have Jesus. You can make yourself Jesus. Anyone want the part of Jesus here? <laughs> okay, that's a hard one to play into, right? We have the blind man to relate to. Um, we have the blind man's parents that we can relate to. We have the neighbors that we can relate to, and we have the Pharisees. Now, we know who we don't want to be, right? We don't want to be the Pharisees, okay? So you're off the hook, fine. You don't get to be the Pharisees. Too bad, <laughs> right? We could have had fun with that. But listen to this. I think um, one of the, um, if we're all being honest here, most of us would be better fitted to relate with the neighbors because we just don't know what's going on here. You're just confused. Can you imagine that? You can picture something happening in your neighborhood. He goes, oh my gosh, and you can't explain it. You're just confused. Why do you have eyesight? Yesterday you couldn't see. In fact, that was your whole life. Oh, let's find someone who knows the answers and you'll, you'll bring this person to get the answers. You can relate to that, can't you? All right, so if you had to do that, that's how you could relate to the neighbors. But listen to this, the hardest person to relate to in this story is the blind man. He really is. You can't relate to this blind man here. Uh, I want to share with you a story that happened to me during my early years of my calling. I was, uh, several years ago, I was serving communion during um, a worship service, and there was a blind woman that I got to serve communion to, and I will never forget this because it changed my life. You ever have those moments that you experience life change, and you know it's, I, I, I call them punctiliar moments because they happen in that instant. Well, um, I'm standing up um, at the front, and they approached, her husband brought her forward, and it came time to take um, the bread, so I placed the bread in her hand. Naturally, she held it out, and I placed it in her hand, okay? Um, so everything is going well. We were doing it through intinction, so the cup was full. Now, this is really interesting because most of us, when we go to take communion, we um, dip, right? Little, and you're careful about it. I just want a little bit right here. Not with that voice. I'm just, you know, having fun right now. But you dip it in. You don't get everything all sopping wet. Well, I was holding this, right, the cup right here. It was full. 
And I take her hand, and she, her hand was shaky, and the moment she felt the cup, she had the piece of bread in her hand, she took it and shoved it down, like with force, into the cup. Um, Evelyn, do you remember that? And the cup went, went like that, okay? Spilled over to the side a little bit, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? She did this on purpose. On purpose she did this. So she just like drenched. So she has a sopping piece of bread, the flesh, full of blood in her hand, and it's dripping on her everywhere. Everyone in the um, congregation, a relatively small church, was wondering what is going to happen next. All right, so I'm like, okay, so I just paused because I didn't know what to do in that moment. And she took the bread, and she, and it was just dripping all over the place, and she put it in her mouth. And the moment she put it in her mouth, the whole place was silent because they're wondering what's going to happen. She does this. She just breathed out. One that juice hit her mouth and the bread, and um, it must have been like 20, 30 seconds, and she just stood there, and her mouth would slowly move around this piece of bread and the cup. Okay? And it was a beautiful, I'm tearing up right now if you're close. It was a beautiful moment, and I'll tell you why, and I want to get the wording right on this. In all her physical blindness, she had the full view of the cross in sight during that moment. I'm convinced of it. God showed everyone there that morning what spiritual sight could look like. And we got to experience and see the cross. To see the cross through someone who was blind to the physical world. And I just want, I wanted to share that with you because in that moment, my eyesight, it, it changed. It really shifted. To see the world through the eyes of a blind person is the most beautiful thing you could possibly see, especially when the eyes of their heart is upon the cross of Jesus Christ during Holy Communion. Next week, we're going to be celebrating World Communion. Bring this, bring this with you. So with all this in mind, the story and this, and this um, the, what I just told you, I, I want to ask, ask a question. Here's question number one. What is the current condition of your spiritual sight? How are you viewing and interpreting the world around you? Within theology and philosophical circles, this is called a worldview. It makes sense, right? how you're viewing the world. And here's the definition. A worldview is simply how you, as a person, takes in, interprets, and then responds to the world around you based on your set of beliefs. You have beliefs that dictate how you act accordingly in the world. That is a worldview. And you have two choices in this matter. You can live according to the world. That's choice number one. And when you live according to the world, it's considered a secular worldview or a pagan worldview, as Paul would put it. But there is something that you should know about following the ways of the world if you don't know already. And it's this. The world is always, it's constantly promoting itself to you, isn't it? And not just promoting itself, it is just pressing up against you wherever you go. There's the pressure of the world asking me to conform again. And the claim is 
this. It's all, it, the claim is always that you, this will make you happy. This thing, this new thing that I've discovered will make you happy. This is the solution to all your problems. It has just been discovered. That is until we come up with a new thing that will make you happy. Oh, wait a second. There's something newer over here. Well, this will make you happy now. Do you see what's going on? It's this constant pattern of seeking what will make you happy without ever giving you the very thing that will make you happy. And that's the influence and pull of a secular worldview. And we do. We desire those things. Don't tell me that you don't. I desire these things that make you happy. We all have those things that make us happy. Okay, I'm not saying avoid those things. I'm saying know their place. Do not turn the blessings of God into your idols. Do not worship the blessings, worship God. But that's the influence and pull of a secular worldview. And let me tell you something. The world has this uncanny habit of setting a bar that is constantly out of reach, doesn't it? Here's the bar, try to reach it, and you, you're grasping, and you're grasping, and then you feel like you got your fingertips on it, and then boop, oh, I'm sorry, the bar's a little higher now, but you're growing, aren't you? You're getting mature. No, you're trying to reach the bar that's constantly out of reach, and some people do get to reach that bar in life, and the funny thing is, when they do reach the bar, what's the word? I've made it at the top, but the top is kind of lonely. It's not what I thought. So why do we strive for that bar that constantly goes out of reach? I do not know. But that is an option. You can get swept away. Um, picture a tsunami. You ever see those tsunami pictures when they come in, they hit a town, and um, you have this, this big bulk of stuff that the tsunami gathers, and it just sweeps it away. Don't get swept away with that stuff. Don't, don't be part of the world tsunami that wants to flood your soul. Don't get swept away with that stuff because that's the influence of a, and the pull of a secular worldview. Or option two, you can live according to Christ and his word. That's option two, which is referred to as a biblical worldview or a Christ view of the world. Now, this is interesting because a Christ view of the world is entirely different because it is guided not by you, but by the Holy Spirit. It is divinely guided. And I fully believe that it is because of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, that Christians have the ability to see and understand what can't be seen. Now here's the weird thing about, a Christ, about Christian sight, about true sight. What we see is in plain view for everyone else to see. It's right there. In other words, we are all looking at the same thing, aren't we? But at the same time, Christians, because of our faith and the Holy Spirit, we see what others cannot see. Here's a few examples, just to, just to get us on the same page. The world sees a little baby born in Bethlehem, right? Oh, how cute. <laughs> we know the story, a little baby born in Bethlehem. Christmas. We see the miracle of a virgin birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see it differently. The world sees a man pathetically dying on a piece of wood in the most humiliating fashion. Right? That's what the people saw when they were walking by on the side of the road. They saw a man dying on the side of the road. You tell me perspective doesn't matter. Because then, in the middle, you had Jesus Christ on the piece of wood. And they just saw a loser on a cross. The people walking by, 
You know, look, look who he claims to be. And then one insurrectionist on one side of Jesus had another perspective, pretty much the same as the people on the road. But then the other, on the other side of Jesus, someone else had a different perspective, and that perspective allowed him to be ushered into paradise that very day. You tell me perspective doesn't matter, how you see things, because those are three ways of seeing the world right there, the people on the side of the road, one person on the side of the cross, and the other person, all right? The one that affirmed who Jesus Christ was had the proper perspective. Don't tell me perspective doesn't matter, because it does. How you understand and perceive things matter. So the world sees a man pathetically dying on the cross. What do you see? Do you see just plain old Roman crucifixion? Or do you see God on a cross making things right for us because we couldn't? That's seeing true sight. The world sees a way of life. It's just a way of life there. I got many ways of life. We don't see that. We see a way to life. Let that sink in. The world sees a way of life. We see a way to life, which is really important. How about this one? The world sees good and bad people. We see lost and saved people. Do you see that distinction there? Christianity is not just about being a good person. Being a good ethical person is a response to God. It's a response to understanding who God is. It's a response to um, living according to the law which was written upon your heart. Those beautiful Ten Commandments, those ethical laws right there. And it's a vital part of Christianity, but it's not the core of Christianity being a good person, that is. Nor is Christianity about bad people becoming good people. Because a lot of people have that view. It's not about that. If you look at the scriptures, there are plenty of good people getting saved, and there are plenty of bad people getting saved. How do you explain that one? It's people getting saved. So that means that Christianity, first and foremost, is about salvation through Jesus Christ in order to be reconciled back to God and ushered into his presence. And this brings us to our next point. The world sees a good man, don't they, in Jesus Christ. We see a good man. He's even a good teacher. And the funny thing is, when, when people say that, well, he was a good man. Well, what did he do? I don't know. Okay, well, you, you're just being inconsistent because you can't tell me anything about someone you're saying is a good man. Here's the other thing you hear. He was a good teacher. Well, if you think that he's a good teacher, tell me what he taught. I don't know. So either you don't, you don't know anything and you're saying he's a good teacher, that means you're a terrible student, right? You're being inconsistent here. But here's the thing. The world sees a good man. Christians see a God-man. It's very important. It's not just a good man. He's a God-man. The world sees another religious institution on the world landscape among other religions, a church. We see the kingdom of God changing the landscape through his church, a living and breathing being, organism, the body of Christ. It's not an institution, people. So again, you can either see the, through worldly eyes or, or through the eyes of Christ. But looking into our scripture passage today, ask yourself, after Jesus restored or gave this blind man his sight, how do you think he saw the world? 
The blind man in the story gained two things that day, but one was intended to point to the other. Jesus gave him sight to not only see the world, but he gave him sight to see the world through him. And because of this, renewed, this man had a renewed vision. He saw what mattered most, didn't he? He saw Jesus Christ. He saw God. And we as Christians have had the eyes of our hearts open to not only um, what is real. You know what's real. So our eyes haven't been just open to what is real, but our eyes have been open to what really matters. And what really matters most is God first and then our relationships with each other. You can't have a relationship with God without having a relationship with people that God loves, that you are called to love. You can't say that you have a loving relationship with God and then be a jerk to everyone around you. You cannot do that. I would argue that if you had a relationship with God because you're missing a, a, an important element, love one another. That's what really matters, our relationships. What matters most is not the size or the type of, type of house that you live in. It's not the dream car that you drive or the one you don't drive. And it's certainly not about popularity or the empty praises that we seek from one another. These are distractions. And if you focus on those things too long, if you focus on the things of the world, guess what? You're going to go spiritually blind. If your eyes are not set upon on the cross through the reading scripture, prayer, worship, fellowship with other believers, then it's going to be very difficult for you to recognize what really matters most, even if it's right in front of you. How many people have um, know the story of Everest, Mount Everest? They had a movie called Mount Everest. Has anyone seen it? Okay, it was about this expedition who went, they went to travel up Mount Everest to conquer it. It's a really important story. I think you're going to remember this. If not, watch the movie. It's awesome. But there was a scene, one scene, where everyone had their chance to answer the question of why they were on this expedition to climb Mount Everest, okay? And a person named Beck Weathers uh, revealed that he was there against his wife's wishes. Why are you here? Well, my wife doesn't want me to be here, but I'm here anyway. And his wife wanted him home with his family, but there he was on this expedition. Wonderful guy, huh? In other words, this mountain, Mount Everest, is what he was living for. It was what was driving him forward in life. It is what mattered most to him, and it was clear that his family was not what mattered most to him. The mountain was bigger in all sense than his family. You cut to the end of the movie as he lay freezing to death on Everest, just laying there, barely able to move, and he's going down. The mountain that he sacrificed everything for, lying on that mountain as he lay literally frozen on the mountain, guess what kind of visions were running through his mind? Not the mountain. He was seeing his family through his spiritual eyes. Those are the visions that were running through his mind as he lied dying on that mountain. Guess who gave him the strength to get off that mountain? Because he got off. The love of his wife and children. Beck's drive for the mountain blinded his view to the love of his family, who were right in front of him all along, people. And I fully believe that if Beck put, put, put God first in his life, he didn't, by the way. 
They've had interviews with this person, and he, he, he's got a secular worldview. Oh, I can't explain what's going on in the mountain. Maybe this happened. Maybe that happened. I don't know. I've done research on it. He did not come around to know Jesus, at least at the time of research. And it's left him dumbfounded. But I believe that if he put God first in his life, then he wouldn't have been on that mountain, would he? He would have been with his family because he would have seen what matters most. Again, if your eyes are not set upon the cross through reading scripture, prayer, and through fellowship with other believers, then it's going to be very difficult for you to recognize what really matters most in your life, even if it's right in front of you. And know this, God will not be obstructed by the things of this world. God is bigger than any mountain or anything that you can think of. However, we can obstruct our view of God. And even the smallest things can appear as mountains in front of us. But God is bigger, God is greater than the mountain you've placed in front of them. If you're experiencing any kind of spiritual blindness in your life, I believe that the Holy Spirit, through this sermon, desires for you to let that go. Just let it go. Find a way. Whatever is obstructing your view of the cross, give it to God and begin the process of healing people. Let the Spirit open your eyes to what is real and what really matters. For judgment, Jesus came into this world that those who do not see may see. I pray that today you experience what true spiritual sight looks like. I pray all this, that you have faith in the Son, that he will give you eyes to see what is true. Gain true sight, people. Love Christ, love God, love each other. Have eyes to see. Amen.